A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why do you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipping him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I find in my life, I have people who fit into two categories. Those who are deeply entrenched in the church and this world, because frankly, I know quite a few clergy people and members of congregations. And on the other side of my life, are all my friends who are either unchurched or have left the church in disappointment and frustration. Having spent 13 years in the Bay Area, an arguably secular area of the country, and frankly, Seattle's not much different, I have known many people who are disillusioned by the church regardless of denomination. It's easy to see why. Many churches have acted in disappointing ways, through scandals, through hurtful theology. In the name of God, in the name of Christ, great harm has been done. Particularly going to college and then graduate school in Berkeley, I actually encountered many people who had been raised in a church often an evangelical church or non-denominational church, some of them even the children of clergy themselves. And I often find myself in conversations with my friends who don't do church about why it is that they left. I'm a bit of an anomaly to them. They know me, they like me, they trust me, and they know that our theologies, so to speak, would be somewhat in line. But there are the hurdles of the pain that the church has caused that they cannot get past. The pain of women being told to be silent in church, the pain of obedience that was preached. This all comes to mind because this is a particular gospel 
that has perpetuated such pain. Why do you doubt? Have faith. It's a scripture that when taken at face value or preached without thought or preached to be coercive in some way, sets people up for a fairly disappointing situation or even worse, a situation where abuse by the church is even easier. Gospels like this are often used by clergy, by preachers, by Christians, to push the idea that we are meant to have blind faith, that doubt is a bad thing. It silences people in the pews. It silences people from questioning whether or not all the theologies being spoken of are actually in line with God. It can push obedience when preached this way. This gospel has been the spinoff for books and sermons telling people to get out of the boat, to go walk on the water, to have faith that is unfailing, and to cause people to fear what the world would look like if they do not have faith or if they doubt. This is against everything I know and believe of God. Doubt is a good and holy thing. Doubt allows our churches to be nuanced and vibrant. Doubt can allow us into deeper relationship with God. I often say I love to be an Episcopalian because we're not required to check our brains at the door. We are allowed to question. We are allowed to doubt. And yet we encounter this gospel, which requires a fair bit of unpacking. For if doubt is not a bad thing, what exactly is Jesus saying? In the context of the story, we have to know where we've been and where we're going. Jesus just got done feeding the 5,000 plus, because yes, there were pluses there, more than just the 5,000. Exhausted from feeding and caring for the masses, he sends the disciples on ahead of him, and look at what he goes and does. He goes and he prays by himself. He cares for his soul and his spirit. He refuels and is fed. The introversion that he needs to be with God, that even the Son of God needs to refuel for ministry and take care of himself, is a whole sermon in and of itself. And then he goes to meet the disciples. Now notice this. The disciples see this figure walking on the water, and that does not scream to them, Jesus, Son of God. Instead, they think it's a ghost. Nothing in what Jesus is doing is part of what they expect the Son of God to be able to do. This is not one of the things foretold that the Savior to come, the Messiah, will walk on water in the midst of a storm. They are frightened. Have you ever been on a boat in the middle of a storm? Waves and wind bashing about? There is no shame in fear. And then to see a figure walking across the water. 
this is not the God that they are expecting. And frankly, you can see the fingerprints of humanity in this story because it's proving something of Christ's divinity, but doing much more to speak to the disciples and their faith. Interestingly enough, it is not Jesus who initially summons Peter, but Peter saying, if it is you, God, if it is you, Christ, let me come to you. Peter is the one who asks for the test. I don't think the fear he experiences being in the midst of the storm is something to be shamed. Jesus doesn't calm the storm immediately. It says the storm ceases when he gets into the boat. It's unclear. Maybe assume that that is the action of Christ. Writer and theologian Debbie Thomas points to an interesting notion in this scripture. That instead of focusing on it being doubt that sinks Peter, look at it as the place where fear leads us. Fear can lead us to sink. Fear can lead us to lose our footing. Fear is natural. Fear is, to some extent, unavoidable. But fear is very rarely the place where God truly intends us to be. In the end, regardless of any doubt or fear, Christ is still present in there. Christ still pulls Peter up from the water. Christ cannot make everything perfect. Christ cannot calm every storm in our lives. Yet Christ can be a companion, can be a companion in our doubt, a companion in our fear, even when it causes us to sink. Blind faith and lack of doubt can do so much more harm than good. When I think of conversations with friends, even very recently, seeing them speak on social media of the harms of having religion forced upon them as children, I recognize the work that we as a church have to do. That there is no amount of argument I can have with them to say, look, this is not what I believe. This is not what my church or my denomination believes. There's only so much I can witness to a different way of life, a different way of being Christian. That as much as they know me and love me and trust me, there are harms that cannot be overcome. In the name of Jesus, the church has preached faith. But how many have been driven away by that very preaching? Unable to return because the space for doubt was not given. Because the fear that was perpetuated by blind faith was much greater than any comfort of God. As a church and as Christians, 
we have a responsibility to sit within the nuanced gospels and scripture readings and to recognize the pain that has come before us in the name of God. This is something we are dealing with in our sacred ground class. The ways one of our readings spoke to the ways in which scriptures were preached to black slaves to force obedience of those who were enslaved to their masters. Great harm can be perpetuated by our scriptures. And the repentance that we do for that and the way we move forward in light of that truth, acknowledging those harms and preaching and interpreting it in a new way will hopefully plant seeds of new faith and new light in the world. It is painful to wrestle with the history that comes with being Christian. It is painful to wrestle with those who have been harmed by a church that so many of us have experienced love and comfort and grace in. Perhaps some of us here, not perhaps, but I know many of us here, carry our own wounds from the church. And by the grace of God, we are still able to come here and find a balm to find community and to find hope. I pray that we as a congregation and as individuals can be beacons of light, not to chastise those who are sinking, but be the ones who will continue to stand and pull one another up, to share our own stories of being pulled up without judgment, but with grace, humility, and peace. For in the end, despite every misstep that the disciples take, and they misstep quite a bit, they sink and they fail. Peter himself denies Jesus multiple times and yet is given the king keys to the kingdom of God. They are beloved. They are met by Christ where they are. And more so than any blind faith or any lack of doubt, that is the message that we are called to share and spread. That is the good news, that we are beloved, that we are accompanied. May God's presence and Christ's presence be with us when we sink. May our doubt and our questions be holy and be pieces of our journey to knowing and being in deeper relationship with Christ as we continue in our faith. Amen.